بسم الله السلام عليكم وعليكم السلام ورحمه الله وبركاته Welcome to another episode uh, at Strong Believers Podcast. We have uh, Sheikh Salim Al-Ashari here today with us, inshallah. And we're going to be discussing his studies and uh, him being a student of medicine and a student of knowledge uh, in the Islamic sciences. Uh, Assalamu alaikum, Sheikh. Wa alaikum salam wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. How are you? Barakallahu alaikum, alhamdulillah. Good. Alhamdulillah. Alhamdulillah, all good. To start off, inshallah. Uh, I wanted to know a bit about your uh, studies abroad. I know you studied uh, medicine here mm, yeah. in, in the UK and then you decided to go abroad. How mm. how did you sort of uh, come to that conclusion? What made you mm. uh, have the drive to go abroad and study and leave your medical degree? Yeah, so so um, good question. Um, so when I was in uh, studying medicine here, so that's where I first started at St. George's um, in, in, in South London. Um, I always wanted to go and study in terms of Islamic sciences, <clears throat> but I couldn't. I didn't really have the. I couldn't really go during the the, the degree. So the degree is five years, mm. and I thought if I go, am I going to come back? Am I really going to finish the degree? Um, so I thought, okay, maybe when I finish the degree, then I'll go. But then when I finish the degree, um, the system is you, you're qualified, but you still have to do like um, two years essentially to get your full kind of registration, etc. So. I did two years after that here um, and then after that then I thought okay look I have to go now on my two years here um, and that's when I went and then uh, I was in Egypt I was in Cairo for about seven years Mashallah. so you finished your medical degree first finished my medical leaving. degree first yeah yeah mm. worked two years at NHS and then went and then came back <laughs> back to the NHS yeah so how, how, how did you find that leaving like the secular studies and going to mm. the Islamic uh, studies like full-time because they're both yeah. Really, uh, they they take a lot of your time. How would you compare the two different types of studies? Yeah, so they're both different. Um, so in terms of the medical aspect, there's a lot of practical things. So for example, you have to you know see patients, um, examine patients, that kind of. There's a lot of more hands-on practical things. Mm. Whereas the Islamic side really is you know you're you're studying in terms of books, in terms of learning from 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 shiur. Um So it's a bit more different. It's more academic in that way. <clears throat> and it's a lot of spending time on your own doing a lot of things mm. on your own for example nobody nobody can help you memorize hadith yeah, <laughs> yeah you have to sit there and do it yourself for example or, or quran or whatever it is um so um it is different in that way uh, do, you, do you think studying uh, medicine is harder than islamic sciences or the other way around um you know the thing with Islamic sciences is that it never ends mm. and the more you learn the more you realize you don't know yeah. is, is, is really the honest truth um, so even now we're still learning and um, it's, it's uh, you know it's, a, it's, it's an ocean yeah. it's never ending so um, in that regard um, in terms of the constant you know knowledge that you need to seek um, to keep up with things in medicine it is as well um, to a certain degree but maybe not as much so for example you need to know all, you know new things that are happening in the world um, recently you know things like bitcoin for example forex I had a, question, mm. a couple of questions about that recently um, all these types of things that you know uh, you need to kind of keep your eye, your eye on and keep researching mm. it's more of a constant thing it, it, to, to go on to that topic of mm. the forex and the whole exchange stuff because yeah. we get a lot of questions and mm. a lot of, like the Muslims are into that field right now yeah uh, have the scholars come to some sort of conclusion on that yet? Uh, there's no, there's no definitive uh, answer on Bitcoin. Mm. Some scholars say so. Now a large number of scholars say Bitcoins, but should avoid it. Yeah. Um, with regards to forex, so uh, Mufti Taqi Usmani, who's 
specialist in in, in finance and mm. that aspect he says um, you should avoid it and um, a couple of other people said you should avoid it as well so at the moment i think there are still certain aspects who are a bit dubious yeah. um there's a little bit of research going on yeah i remember uh sheikh uh, Hatham, i think he yeah. uh, he he had a gathering and he was speaking about it yeah. and he was saying this uh it's like creating a new currency which is not based on like yeah. gold and silver and stuff yeah yeah so yeah. it should be avoided yeah but uh yeah, I hear some some are allowing you and some are saying, yeah. Yeah. but I think it's just best to avoid, isn't it? Yeah, if you're in doubt, as the Prophet yeah. said, yeah, you know, if you're in doubt, then just leave it. Yeah, subhanAllah. <laughs> so how uh, how would you say your your studies uh, to go back into that yeah. topic of uh, your Islamic studies? Yeah. How do you think that's like now uh, helped you when you're when you're studying medicine? Yeah. And when you have patients and when you're in the hospital and you're seeing all these different kind of things, mm. uh, how? Uh, what kind of impact has that had on you? So um, the Islamic side really teaches you, um, one of the things anyway, it really teaches you how to be patient. Mm. Um, I was going to say patient with your patients, but yeah, be patient <laughs> in general. Because, um, you know, when you're like in the middle of the desert, in the middle of Cairo, you got you know hardly know anyone around and you're sitting there and you're struggling and you have to memorize X, Y and Z and learn X, Y and Z. Um, and, you know, it's like 40 degrees outside and um, all kinds of things are going on uh, it really does teach you to to to, to have that level of patience um, with regards to dealing with other people um, and just in regards to yourself so uh, one of the things even some of the other people that I work with they always not always but a lot of people generally they say you know you don't seem to get stressed and you don't seem to um, you know get worried about things mm. I'm like yeah because so. I've been in the, in the desert in Egypt for seven <laughs> years you've been there for seven years you won't get stressed when you come back so um, yeah that's one of the aspects mm. that I've learned definitely SubhanAllah were the conditions quite tough when mm. you were studying there? Um, yeah, I would, it depends what you mean by tough I mean it was different it was different mm. um, so uh, you know when you're used to having uh, running water all the time electricity all the time mm. and you go suddenly and then you know you get cuts here and there and um, you know you're used to driving a car for example and then over there you're walking everywhere mm. or you're having to get taxis um, so it's different in that aspect yeah. Um, yeah yeah but it was good alhamdulillah benefited do you think like living in that kind of environment yeah. uh, sort of allows you to implement more of like uh, uh, the nuances and the ease that Allah has created in terms of the deen because sometimes you might have been in areas where there's no water mm. and you're in the desert yeah. and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, so, so, yeah, in a way you could say that. Mm. In a way you could say that. Um, but I, I think over here, coming back here, sometimes you appreciate more what Allah has given us. Yeah. Um, and that's one of the things that really we, you know, you can really take from having spent time uh, away. Um, you know, even a small thing like having running water, for example, all mm. the time. Um, or not having to, you know, or having hot water, for example. Um, things like that, and um, yeah, the, I'm just thinking back about it now. There's so uh, even things like you know, just walking the street and you don't have dogs chasing you down the street, <laughs> more things like that. So, but yeah. you know, um, yeah, you ever the, chased by a dog many <laughs> times, many really? times, yeah, 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 many times. Yeah, I was a pro, like I'm, I'm pro now, <laughs> knowing where to hide, how to get out of it. Yeah. So, uh, alhamdulillah, sure, yeah. yeah, but that uh, is a cool experience. Yes, I remember in one of your classes, you mentioned how, um. Islam has been made really easy. Mm. Uh, the fact that it was sent to people who couldn't mm. couldn't read or write, and they were in the yeah. desert, yeah. and uh, there's hardly any water, and mm. uh, all of these kind of facilities. So if they were able to practice Islam, yes. that we can practice Islam. Uh, yeah, you can practice Islam anywhere. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, 
pe- people who aren't really practicing and they might see Islam as daunting to to yeah. sort of like uh, get into and practice and they feel like they have to do everything otherwise there's no point doing uh, yeah. any of it how would yeah. you advise those kind of people so uh, the main key thing that you know whatever you're doing is that you need to just really hold on to your solar mm. no matter what you're doing in your life um, that is the real key thing that's the real the, the rope that really links us you know from this life you know to, to the akhirah mm. and that's the bond that you have with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala um, and that is the no matter what you do in your life just make sure you pray your five times a day mm. just make sure you do that and that will really even if it's not now then later on you will you know see the effects as Allah mentioned in the Quran uh, in Surah uh, Al-Kabut as well that um, mm. that when we pray the salah the salah is, is, is the aspect that prevents us from committing sins committing mistakes because you know, every time five times a day you're turning back to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala you're speaking to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala if we really prayed in the way in which um, Allah wants us to pray, wants mm. us, you know, we should be praying. It will really have that effect on your heart and then the rest of, um, you know, your actions. It's about establishing that connection with Allah, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. I think uh, some people that do pray, or most of us, when we do pray, we don't yeah. have that connection. Yeah. So we go back yeah. to sin. Uh, yeah, I mean, this is, I mean, one of the aspects um, that we often find is that we, we've often concentrated a lot on the uh, external aspects of prayer. Mm. You know, where do you put your hands? You put your hands here, here, here. Um, do you do rafalin? Do you not do rafalin? Mm. Foot to foot, ankle to ankle. Do you do all of these things? And we we've kind of you know in the UK anyway in the last maybe ten years or so really focused on these issues. And there's a time and place for them, mm. but the main focus really of the salah is you know the, the position of your heart, the state of your heart when you're in that salah. And we know that in fact the reward of the salah is proportional to your khushu. Mm. The Prophet he said that in hadith like Abu Dawood, that you know a person will pray and he'll get a tenth of his reward, and a person will pray and get ninth, and so on and so on and so on. Why? Because they, although they're praying the same salah, their concentration, their khushu in the salah differs. So this is a mm. key thing, um, which really instead of focusing always on the external aspects, we need to focus on the internal mm. aspects. Um, and uh, once we fix that, then that, everything else will come in Yes, yeah, how how do you think uh, that a person can develop that khushu uh, mm. and uh, have that connection in the salah? Yeah, so it's it will come with time, mm. um, and um, we're all searching for it. And it all, you know, it's it's a never-ending thing mm. essentially. Um, uh, as many of the salaf they used to say, for example, just talking about qiyamul uh, layl, they used to say that it would take um, you know twenty years for us to pray qiyamul layl, and we wouldn't see the benefit until twenty years afterwards. We wouldn't start to enjoy it. So it's about constantly striving. And Allah was uh, one of the things that Allah looks to see those who are striving, looks to see for those who really. Um, you know, want that reward, want mm. that good, we want that in their life, and it's about you know trying to persevere. Um, there's a few things that we we normally mention uh, in terms of how we can improve our khushur. Mm. So for those that don't know Arabic, I always say that um, externally what you wear will have an impact on you internally. So even the clothes that you wear, you know, sometimes you see people they come in like you know for fajr and they'll come in mm. like you know the clothes their pajamas essentially. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but you know if you go for a job interview or speaking to someone important, you never go in your pajamas. Yeah. Um, you know, and we're speaking to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So externally the clothes here should be appropriate and that will have an impact on you internally. Mm. And um, and then you want to start from Surah Fatiha, which we all recite for every single uh, rakah that we pray. So knowing the meaning of Surah Fatiha, just knowing the tafsir, you know, if anyone doesn't know it, just go online, just you know, Ibn mm-hmm. Kathir has a you know very good explanation in English of it. Um, 
and then the surahs that you recite. So, for example, you know, most people recite Surah Ikhlas or Surah Al Asr or whatever, these, whatever mm. surah you recite. Just knowing the translation and the tafsir of that will help you in your khushu and your in your salah in your relationship with the with your prayer as well. Really understanding why you're saying things, what it means, and and why you're doing certain mm. things. And inshallah, that builds over time. Inshallah. Uh, how, how do you think uh, uh, with fiqh? Um, mm. Do you think that aids in spirituality? Because I know you've studied fiqh uh, mm. abroad quite extensively. Do you think that helped you in terms of your spirituality and getting close to Allah? Because it's one of the no. dark sciences, isn't it? <laughs> no, so uh, the opposite in a way, actually. Yeah, um, because you're kind of when you're studying, it's it's you're just there with your books and you're mm. there, you know, with your with your, your your teachers, your your shiuch, who you go and sit with. Um, and really, with, you don't really have the aspect coming back to medicine where you have that interaction with others. Mm. So when you're studying anyway, and um, it can become a bit monotonous and it can become a bit like, um, uh, it can affect the heart. Mm. And uh, even for me personally, I felt as though I was not having that, uh, it, it was not really, I was learning everything, it was going in, but it wasn't, I wasn't having that spiritual aspect. Mm. Okay, it wasn't really affecting my heart. And I did speak to quite a few people and People that I spoke to, they all said they all said the same thing. I said, yeah, that we we experiencing the same thing. And one of the reasons is when you don't um, have that, or we don't study, for example, purification of the heart of the alongside or at the same point, or doing something along those lines, really it can affect your heart, and your heart can become affected. Mm. Just seeing things black and white, just seeing you know learning things in and out, just doing the same daily routine, for example. Um, and that's one of the things that I really learned that um, you know this this aspect of really trying to focus on building that relationship with Allah because fiqh is just you know for example you're talking about how do you pray how do you do wudu yeah. um, what breaks your fast what doesn't break your fast that's really you know it's not it's not it doesn't affect the heart mm. to be honest with you so really need to, we always need to have all of us uh, need to have something that really builds that love of Allah mm. in our hearts whatever that may be for example learning about Allah's names. For example, um, you know, doing some type of tafsir or tadabbur or something along those lines. Mm. And, and that's really a key, key aspect. A few questions to follow up on that mm. is uh, the first one would be, um, uh, uh, did you end up doing something to like remedy that along, yeah. alongside it? And the second one would be, uh, is, uh, is the way the fiqh, fiqh is taught now, mm. is it different to how the Salaf used to learn it? Uh, and the third thing would be, um, uh, I forgot my third question now. That's all right, don't worry, I'll uh, probably forget the second one. But I'll do the first one. Yeah, yeah. You, uh, if you could yeah. uh, mention it. Uh, what was the first one? I ended actually forgotten already. <laughs> <laughs> what the first one was about? Uh, uh, it was about fiqh. Uh, yes. Uh, um, or what did I do? Yeah. yeah so, like so yeah. So then I, I, what I did was I tried to then um, focus a bit more on, and just even just reading certain mm -hmm. things. So, for example, learning about the names of Allah, how you can practically then use that. For example, in du'a. Um, so because when you're in university um, for Azhar Medina wherever it is they, they're not going to teach you um, let's say the names of Allah how you apply that in dua mm. they're going to teach you okay the rulings of salah the rulings of, 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 of zakat for example they're going to teach you aqidah they're going to teach you hadith it's not they're not going to focus on this aspect so I found that this aspect was was something that you know I really needed to to work on, um, and when I started to do it, then I found a, a lot of benefit. So personally, that's what I did, um, and 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 also building a relationship with the Quran because mm -hmm. when you're studying, you know, for example, if you're just learning or memorizing or revising the Quran, um, because time is short as well mm -hmm. when you study. Imagine when you got you know let's say a relatively short amount of time to try and learn as much as you can. Um, 
And so you're always busy doing things. Mm. So just having that time, you know, to taking out 10 minutes, 20 minutes a day, just have something that you read, whether it's, you know, Tazkiyatun Nefs, Purification of the Soul, something along those lines, really did uh, benefit me. Mashallah. So are people uh, like going into it now, mm. studying it, yeah. uh, should they study other things alongside it as well? Yeah. So so I would say, do you, you're going to have to do your normal studies, your Quran, your Tafsir, your Hadith, um, do all of that as well. But also, you know, every night just before you go to sleep, maybe just have um, a book that you're going through, whether mm. it be, you know, for example, uh, like we said, learning about Allah's names, mm. whether it be something about... Um, I don't know, a dhikr, whatever yeah. it may be, there's many books you could use, um, but something along those type of lines and that will really benefit you practically because mm. otherwise it's, it's a lot of knowledge going in, but we, we need to affect ourselves practically yeah. whilst we're studying going through that time as well. Because uh, one of the things that I, f I feel like is maybe that mm. the secular acad uh, academia mm. has impacted the Muslim world in terms of like teaching and stuff, yeah. whereas maybe in the past they used to work more on the on the soul and purifying yeah. the nafs and stuff. Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, so, and, and of course, in the past they didn't have this the, the salaf, for example, yeah. they didn't have the the way we study fiqh and the way we study the way it's taught, should I mm. say, um, you know, aqidah and hadith. Um, they were learning it as, as a part of the day, basically yeah. as part of the daily routine. This is what happened. They would just, you know, carry on like that. Mm. Whereas now it's a bit more classified and a bit more boxed in and a bit more of um, uh, kind of can be a bit um, mundane. Yeah. You always, you know, you classify things in certain boxes, doing things in a certain way. Um, whereas really we need the practical aspects. And that's one of the things, a bit like medicine actually, so when you study your medical degree mm. and you come out and you think, yeah, you've done it and you know everything and you walk into the first day. I remember actually uh, my first day. Um, so I turned up to the hospital and um, so you do your normal jobs. And then uh, I remember one of the nurses, then she, she called out, she said, oh, we need, a, we need a doctor, we need a doctor. Yeah. So now I'm looking around, I'm like, yeah, where's the doctor? And I'm like, oh, I'm the doctor <laughs> today. Because the day before I was a student and um, that living that practical, that, that practically when you start to, to, to implement what you've been learning, mm. it's like another life. You're like, it's like you, you know, you, I learned more working as a doctor than I learned in that five year study. Maybe in that one year that, or two years that I was here before I went to Egypt. Mm. You learn so much more. And the same having studied Islamic sciences, you know, I was there for seven years. But even the, you know, the time I've been back here, um, when you're having to relate to how people, issues people are going through, having to be able to um, relate what you've learned back to practically how it Im impacts on people and how you can um, relate it to living in the West, living in the UK, living in London, that aspect really is, um, is, is much harder. Yeah. And um, you learn so much more by that and you become so much less rigid in the way that you maybe used to think. That's one of the w things that I found anyway. So it is. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, Sheikh, uh, yes. people who are sort of like, uh, in your, who are in your shoes, who are mm. studying maybe medicine now or studying something else, or maybe they're working and mm. they uh, they want to go abroad and study, mm. but they ha have that fear of, if I come back, I might not have that same job. I might not be able to yeah. do what I could do or earn as much as before. Mm. Or... Um, taking that leap, uh, what would you advise people like that? So um, that's a good question. So it depends on the individual. And what I'd say is that you need to ask yourself, what do you want to do? What are you going to do with it at the end? So lots of brothers, when I ask them, for example, okay, you want to go abroad, you want to study for X amount of years. Okay, what's your plan? What are you going to come back and do afterwards? How are you going to, for example, finance going abroad? You know, um, 
are you do you have are you married for example do you have children what are you going to do over there with your with your wife mm-hmm. with your kids you know how will you what's your plan basically so all of these things need to be taken into account and a lot of brothers um uh you know as i said it can it, it sounds nice mm-hmm. on the set on the, on the face of like okay you know this person studied x y and z but on all, all honest truth it's not easy mm-hmm. when you're sitting there in a room and you know and the sun's baking down and you're just there and you're there and you're sitting trying to memorize hadith for hours for example is is hard mm-hmm. it's hard to be honest with you and um we saw many brothers that came um and um, you know they started and then it, it becomes difficult and a lot of brothers had left in the end um but the mm. the key thing is knowing what you want to do so if you're somebody for example that wants to be able to to give jumma khutbas um or wants to learn arabic have a close relationship with the quran then yeah great you don't need to spend 10 years over there yeah. for example you can do that in a year maybe two years um if it's somebody who wants to be like you know um a scholar then you need to have all of these plans okay what am i going to do how am i going to survive family how am i going to afford it what am i going to do when i come back for work because that's the other thing as well when you come back um you know you need to be able to have a plan as to mm-hmm. how you're going to support yourself I, and a lot of these things are realistic you know these are the things that everyday people are going to have to go through because it's easy to just say yeah i'm going to go abroad but then you know think about it in a bit more detail and if you have that plan um then yeah inshallah Allah will facilitate it and just it was all about having that intention as well mm. so when you have that intention you really want to do it for allah subhanahu wa ta'ala then allah will facilitate and open the door for you but we need to be practical as well mm. um in terms of how we're going to go about these things for you do you, do you find it was easier because because you said your medicine and that's yeah. some like sort of you're secure in terms of coming back and you have the job and so um kind of kind of so i didn't know at the time so well i took seven years out of medicine um and but i promised my dad that when i if i go abroad then i'll come back and i I won't Mm. need medicine so when i came back then i had to do uh four months or so just to make sure that all my competencies were were still fine Mm. that was okay And, and so i had to do make up four months basically for that um and uh was it six months it was, it was a few months yeah. anyway um and that kind of got me back into the swing of things again so it does depend on your job um so for example some brothers who maybe you know if you're working at home maybe you can still work when you're abroad um so it does vary on the job yeah itself. did you find it difficult to get back into like uh medicine, into medicine. Yeah. um uh it, it was it wasn't easy it wasn't easy but um alhamdulillah facilitated it so um you know yeah, Alhamdulillah, it was okay. Alhamdulillah, yeah. oh, that's good. What were some of the struggles that you saw among brothers who came and then they weren't able to like stay on studying in Egypt? Um, a lot of it is, and subhanAllah, one of the things we noticed that whenever brothers came, and myself, when I don't know why it was, but within the first week or two of coming, there'd always be something happening to somebody. So I remember brothers who would come and um. Uh, even myself, I'll give my own, my own example. So the first week that I went there, I remember. So I, I went there, Egypt, and I didn't know, I, I hardly knew, knew, knew any Arabic, let alone any Amiya, which is the language they, that the Egyptians speak. So I went there and there was, I had a flat there that I was renting, so it was a brother's flat. And um, I think it was on the second or third day, the Bawab or the person, this is like the caretaker, every building has a, a caretaker at the mm. bottom of the building. So he comes up to me and he he's saying something and I haven't got a clue what he's saying. He could be speaking gibberish. I don't know what he was saying. <laughs> and so my Arabic teacher is saying, you know, what, do you know what he's saying? And I'm like, no, I don't know what he's saying. He's saying, look, the building's about to be closed down because of the structural issues. Or something that like it might fall down or something <laughs> and you have to leave in three days time. And I'm like, I just got here two days ago. Mm. And so then I didn't know any, I, I knew one person at the time in the country. 
then I have to go look, had to go look for a flat, and that's kind of like in and of itself because it's not like here. You don't. There's no, you know, estate agents the same way here. Mm-hmm. You literally have to go around knocking on doors in buildings, saying, "Do you have a spare flat? Do you know one that has a spare flat?" Oh, and then you have to go around that. So, um, so many things happened there, and then for them we had a flood. It is all like in the first initially when you go there. It's, it's like as if Allah puts it as a test. Yeah. Uh, and we had a so yeah, I remember the flat flood, and then we had issue with um uh in the next place we moved to we had an issue with um cockroaches then then after that we had the next place we moved to, we had an issue with rats so we used to we had a couple of rats basically so we didn't know this so um uh that were basically they were taking food so uh you know like biscuits and things like that yeah, yeah. And you know have cupboards so they would come in and they were taking the, the biscuits and they were literally they were they were climbing up and then hoarding the biscuits on the top so lots of lots of things go, go wrong like that. Yeah, I know. Um, and, and lots of things happen to different brothers. Yeah. Similar type of things that there were difficulties. You know, they would have difficulties maybe with their family. Um, uh, but once you get over that, and it wasn't just me. It was lots of brothers had yeah. these different issues. But once you get over that initial period, then Alhamdulillah, you know, Allah facilitated it for us. Sure. But it's like as though that's a little bit of a test. You know, do you really want to do it? Are you yeah. really sincere in it? That kind of thing. Um, and, and, and yeah, it's all about persevering. Were there any times where you just thought like yeah. I, I can't I can't do this I have to I have when to I saw back. those rats I was like <laughs> where's, where's my passport I need to go back to UK yeah. but um, so, uh, I handed now yeah. it, it was it was okay, it was okay. yeah yeah what's the climate there like now because um, mm. a little while ago they weren't allowed yeah. to sort of teach and do certain things uh, how yeah. was it like as a student of knowledge there so over when I was there so I went through a diff- different so when I was there. So I left a few years ago now, three, just over three years ago. But when I was there, I remember I went through the time period when Mubarak was there. Mm. He was still in charge. And then I was there when Mursi was there. And I was there when Sisi was there. This during the time mm. period I was there. So things kind of changed when I was there. And also, I think things have changed now. So when I was there, when I first went Mubarak was there, it was kind of the status quo um, that had been there for the last, you know, mm. decade, a few decades or whatnot. So everybody kind of knew their role, and studying wasn't a problem. Alhamdulillah, we we never really had any issues, um, especially being from Britain. Mm. Um, there were no, and I was studying at Azhar at the university as well. So it wasn't, you know, somebody you weren't studying in a place that was unknown. Um, so I, Alhamdulillah, I never had any issues. Mashallah. Yeah. What was some of the impacts that your teachers had on you while you were mm. over there? Yeah, so um, your teachers impact on you a lot um, and you learn so many, you know, things that you really can't learn from books. And that's one of the key things as well. Um, you know, just generally how to be as a person. Um, and when you see the their relationship with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, mm. um, for example, you know, you're sitting there and, you, and, and you know, they're eating and they, they remember they're doing dhikr things, subhanAllah, alhamdulillah, you know, just eating as if, you know, they'd never... You know, maybe even never seen food before. That's literally how they're remembering Allah when they're eating. Um, so things like that that you can't really pick out and learn from a book, they're invaluable. Um, in fact, I remember actually uh, an incident. Um, you mentioned uh, Sheikh Haytham and uh, the beginning. So I remember an incident with him. So uh, he came to visit us in Egypt. <clears throat> and I remember at the time, it was very early into when I went, maybe a, a year or so. And I was telling him, you know, that um, thinking about going to to, to Azhar and uh, study, but I've also, well, obviously, I knew him from before. Mm. Uh, um, you know, I've got medicine and this and that. And I said, you know, Sheikh, I don't know what to do, basically. Um, and he said, I remember this. So this was at Fajr time, and we're walking to. I think it was Fajr time. Yeah, it's Fajr time. So we're walking to the masjid, and he said, Look, Salim. He said, It's just me, you, and Allah Subhanahu wa Taala. And he said, Look, this life is worth nothing. He said, you know, um, 
that whatever you do here in terms of uh, you know wealth in terms of your job really in the grand scheme of things is the, the, the dunya really is, a, is small mm. it's worth nothing really if you have the opportunity and the ability to do something better for your dunya and for your akhirah then you know we should try and do it and I remember those those words you know when you're in the middle of nowhere in the dark and you're walking with somebody and, and they say that you really you know had an impact on me um, and uh, yeah things like that you learn from other people you, when you meet other scholars uh, really have a big impact on, on a person do you, do you still uh, try to keep in, uh, in contact with your mashaykh uh, back in Egypt? <coughs> yeah, so um, I still do. I still mm. do. Uh, not as often just because we're so busy over mm. here. But um, you always, whoever you are, you always need to be in contact with certain people, peers and others who are, mm. are senior to you to, uh, you know, to help make sure that, you know, you as, a, as an individual, yeah. you're understanding things in the correct way and you're able to discuss and, 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 and go back and forth and debate and ensure that, you know, uh, that's good for your own one's own learning as well looking at things from another point of view yeah. um, and, and it helps you kind of focus on uh, on what you're doing as well Mashallah. Uh, the one thing I want because we're speaking about Sheikh Haytham mm. and uh, people ask him a lot about Fatawa on mortgages and stuff like that yeah uh, ask him Invite <laughs> 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 him for a podcast next time <laughs> Inshallah Inshallah I'll, okay. I'll get him on yeah. Inshallah yeah no but, um, yeah uh, mm. What are some of the ways you think we can uh, try and um, uh, um, make like a halal alternative, like a, for mortgages? Yeah, so so there are a few, um, a couple of uh, companies that are uh, going into that. Um, so as we know, there are you you have for example um, various organisations. You have Islamic Bank of Britain, for example, um, and other uh, banks and companies that are producing. Um, uh, what, uh, what are termed as Sharia compliant mortgages, for example, mm. um, and there's a difference of opinion about are they really Sharia compliant, are they not Sharia compliant, um, and there are a couple of new ones that are coming up. <coughs> um, one is called uh, I don't am I allowed to mention this or yeah, is yeah. that promotion? Okay, yeah, all right. I'm not getting paid for this. <laughs> okay, <laughs> I'm so one I'm not getting paid either. Okay, <laughs> right, yeah. so one one is called um, I think Halo Housing. Um, so certain aspects of that one that I know a number of scholars said that's fine and there's a second one called uh, I think it's called primary finance which has just started up which um, again a number of scholars have looked at and said yeah that that's there's there's no issues with those ones mm, uh, uh, what about um, Arayan is it completely different to the, uh, that kind of bank so Arayan um, is one which the scholars do have a few uh, differences over certain mm. aspects of it yeah mm, okay <laughs> yeah, I'll leave it at that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, inshallah. I'll have to look into that. Yeah. Uh, uh, one of the um, other things uh, that people uh, ask a lot about is mm. that people are pressured with it actually, is that uh, with Asian families especially, they're mm. like, you're allowed to have your own, your first house, first yeah. house, they call it the first house fatwa sort of thing. Like, if, oh, okay. if it's your first house, you're yeah. allowed to get a mortgage. Uh, okay. Is there any basis to that? Is that an Afghan thing? Uh, Afghans and I've heard other people <laughs> okay. say it as well. Okay, okay. Uh, I've heard that to be honest with you. First house fatwa. Yeah. Well, I name it. I name it first house fatwa, but uh, no, no, I haven't heard of that to be honest. Um, but regardless, you know, the 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 thing in all of this, the bottom line, in all of this is that mm. um, you know Allah mentions about riba in the Quran, as mm. Baqarah, as we know, um, and uh, it's a really severe warning when Allah said that you know you're going to wage war against Him, yeah. and um, as we just touched upon, you know, what scholars say that, you know, this, this life really is temporary. It's not, a, a, you know, it's not a permanent thing. It's, even the other day, I remember I was, when I was doing, um, so did the khutbah in the mosque last week. 
and I mentioned that you know the average lifespan here in the UK according to the National mm. Office for Statistics is 81 years no. imagine the average lifespan is 81 years now imagine from the time of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam over 1400 years ago okay people have been living in their graves for 1400 years mm. okay until now and then Allah knows how long it will be to the day of judgment imagine how many hundreds of years and yet we're only alive for maybe 81 years so a really small proportion of that time so you know if you really always have the akhirah in mind then it will really put your heart at ease in terms of what you do in this life mm. um, so always you know whatever we're doing in this life yes Allah says you know there's no problem in terms of if you want to have a nice house a nice car um, you know a nice camera a nice podcast no problem with that uh, nice clothes whatever it is but Allah says don't forget him mm. and don't forget the akhirah so as long as you have that in your mind then inshallah Allah will, will, will facilitate it for you inshallah what uh, what are some of the crazy like fatawa you, you get asked about in uh, um, on Instagram maybe or like just in general before the watershed? <laughs> <laughs> there was one really funny one, but yeah, I don't think you can say it on on online. Um, crazy fatawa. What's the what's the craziest one I've been asked? Um, that's a good question. I'm gonna have to think about that one. Let me think about them. I'll come back to that one. Okay, okay, inshallah. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. Now while while you're here um, and. Uh, how how do you find the balance of um, uh, medicine? Because you're still obviously still learning for that as well, and yeah. uh, Islamic sciences, uh, and you're doing maybe classes or giving khutbah. How are you managing yeah. your time? Uh, what's your yeah? So so it's, so it's difficult. So um, once I, so when I came back from Egypt, so then I went into uh, training as a GP. So um, I'm I'm finished that now training as a GP. So. It's more, uh, there's not so much learning. I don't have any exams to do, for example. Mm. It's, it's more just working. But um, uh, medicine is one of those things that it's not always a nine to five job. You know, somebody mm. comes in and they're, and they're unwell. You know, it's not like you can't, you know, nobody's going to leave them. You know, uh, you want to help people and you want to have that responsibility mm. to be able to help people as well. Um, and, um, you know, the Prophet let me mentioned that, you know, uh, that the best of people are the ones who are the most beneficial to others in whatever shape or form that mm. may be. So um, it does take up a lot of time, Alhamdulillah. But, uh, you know, there's a lot of other benefits to it that um, maybe there isn't in, in, in certain other jobs or, or, or fields um, so that's one aspect mm. um, but it does become a bit more tricky in terms of doing things in terms of the shari side so this is why I always say if anyone wants to do shari studies and you ask any scholar uh, or most scholars in the you know in, in the western UK don't do medicine medicine is not the it's mm. not the way to go because it takes up so much time you imagine so doing a GP I don't have to do nights anymore or weekends but you know when you're doing certain rotors you have to do nights you have to do weekends um, if you're every other weekend you're working you finish oh. at 8 o'clock in the evening sometimes you finish at midnight sometimes 2 o'clock in the morning um, and you don't have that stability whereas if you're doing a class um, you know you're going to be missing weeks for example if you're teaching the class or if you're attending a class mm. and it can become difficult in that aspect um, so yeah, it is difficult, but um, as long as you have a plan, then inshallah, you know, that, that's the key thing. So um, I always tell brothers, you know, have a plan. Well, what I do personally, what I advise others is have a plan from Ramadan to Ramadan. Mm. So Ramadan is just gone now. Okay, um, just look at yourself this Ramadan in terms of your relationship with Allah, in terms of your Quran, in terms of where you want to be, where you have been last Ramadan and where you want to be next Ramadan. Mm. So by next Ramadan, you want to, I don't know, maybe have... Um, let's say um, gone through Tafsir or Surah Fatiha or something simple, whatever it is. And then you can work backwards. How do I achieve that? Okay, every 
Friday I'm going to spend 15 minutes looking at the tafsir or I'm going to spend you know 15 minutes learning Surah Al-Kaf part of Surah Al-Kaf whatever it is but try and have a plan from Ramadan to Ramadan and then work backwards from next year mm. uh, and that will really help focus you Mashallah. What can we uh, expect from you in like the upcoming future, inshallah? It's a good question. Uh, my family asked me the same question as well. <laughs> <laughs> no pressure there. So at the moment, um, so as you know, I do the Islam channel Q&A on, on Fridays. Um, so I do a class on Thursdays. We're going through Tadabur or Surat Al-Kaf. Um, and we're also going through a Journey of the Soul as well. So um, that even just preparing for that, for example, the Tadabur, we spent an hour and 15 minutes just on four words no. the last no. week just because you know when you're doing tadabbur and you're really thinking why did Allah say this you know what, what's Allah telling me um, why did he say it in this way uh, you know what can mm. I take it from it um, so really that that's what I'm doing at the moment in terms of the class that I'm teaching um, and um, you know do the Instagram or yeah. questions or photograms as we call it um, and at the moment that's really kind of taking up most of my time Inshallah. yeah so we'll see in the future i just finished so just for ramadan just gone i d- uh, did a series for islam channel on um called conversation in the quran mm. so that took up a bit of time prior to ramadan so it was going through a conversation that allah's preserved for us in the quran so for example the conversation between allah and musa alayhi salam or between musa alayhi salam and fir'aun um and we're looking at one conversation each just so that was what i did before ramadan and then ramadan's just finished yeah. a few weeks ago so um yeah, that's, that's, that's what I'm doing. Sure. Were there any of the stories or yeah. any of the conversations that really stuck out for you? Like while you were. Yeah, the, the one, my kind of favorite one at the moment was um, the story in Surah Al Araf, uh, which is one of my favorite surahs, when uh, the conversation between the people of Jannah and people of Jahannam. Mm. That's a really amazing conversation. Um, and the people of Araf and how they're there. And, um, you know, these people whose good deeds are equal to their bad deeds. And they don't know where they're going, if they're going to Jannah, if they're going to Jahannam. And then the people of Jannah, they say salam to the, or the, they say salam to the people of Jannah. And how do they even know who, who's on the people of Jannah and who's the people of Jahannam? Um, and what, then at the end of the conversation, the people of Jahannam, they're asking for even, you know, the smallest amount. Min al-ma. Min al-ma is not even just, you know, like the water bottle we're drinking now. Mm. Like when you finish that water bottle and there's like a few drops left at the bottom. They're asking for even for that amount of water. The, descript- the, the way Allah describes it and the detail he describes it is amazing. Um, and that's probably my favorite conversation. What other ayah, if you remember, uh, mm. so we can look into it later on, inshallah? The, the ayah number, so it's, it's roughly, I think, about the ninth or tenth page. The be- okay. It's the beginning, towards the beginning of Surah Araf. Mashallah. Yeah. What are one of the uh, uh, prophets that like really stick out for you? And you, do you feel like you connect with any of them? It's uh, <sighs> a good question. I've been asked that before. <laughs> um, do I have a favorite prophet? Um, I don't think I do actually. I don't think I do. I've, uh, I've never thought, do I have? Pre- I mean, was the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam? Just maybe because we know more about him, mm. and you know, when you learn more uh, hadith about him and how he was as a person, um, I think he. W- I would have to say the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam, just purely because I know more about him than mm. than the others. Subhanallah. Yeah. I think for me, like the, the story of Noah, like really, mm. like sticks out for me yeah why is that he just because he gave that off for so long yeah and you can really like in Surah Al-Nuh you can really uh, tell the struggles he's going through and he's mentioned like I give that one the daytime and the nighttime Mm. and private and secret yeah Yeah. and he's going through all of these things and then his uh, 
uh, his son as well mm. he, he he doesn't accept islam mm. and he says you know i'll go on top of the mountain and i'll be protected there mm. and no i'm saying no no one will be protected yeah and yeah. he's given out his hand like come come yeah. on board the ship yeah, yeah, and then yeah. he's still rejecting it subhanallah yeah yeah and uh yeah it's uh, there's a lot of lessons we can learn from yeah it. definitely definitely so i remember i think last week somebody asked me on uh, on instagram they said um what was your favorite incident i think from life of the prophet something along those lines and um, I don't have a specific incident, but I mean, one of the lessons that I think we can really use nowadays is the incident of Taif, when we know the Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, when he went to give them da'wah, and then they uh, pelted him with stones, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. And then we know the famous narration about how Jibreel came with the angels of the, the two mountains between that town, and the angel said that we can crush these people, and the Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, he said no. Um, even though there were people that, you know, f not just verbally, but physically abused him, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, to the extent where, you know, blood is coming out from you know mm. parts of, of of his feet and even then the softness of his heart to say no you know mm. really nowadays so many questions i get nearly on a, on a weekly basis oh. about you know issues between families brothers mm. and you know between brothers um you know husbands and wives you know uh, you know in-laws um and really if we really had that that softness of the heart or really or, or the forgiving heart mm. the for, really having that forgiving heart really be, being able to look over uh you know people's mistakes and forgiving one another and of course it's a two-way process really that would take us a long way that's yeah, fine mm. one of my <coughs> sorry one of my teachers always says uh in terms of forgiving as well mm. he says people like oh i can't forgive this person he yeah. he, he done this wrong and that wrong yeah. and he's like but like that's what forgiveness is for like yeah. it's not there like yeah. that you forgive people when they don't do anything yeah, you yeah, forgive yeah. when they've done something yes that's so right. i think yeah. it takes uh it takes yeah. a lot of uh, working on the heart yeah. to like uh persevere yeah. through that and to forgive yeah, yeah that's very true i mean that, the bottom line is that as allah said if you know if we want allah to forgive us mm. then we need to forgive others yeah, that's, that's really the bottom line like the story of uh, Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu mm. where uh, i think that's what well, yeah, i you're referring to right yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. it must have we know why Abu Bakr is in the state that he, the status he has, yeah. because of that. Subhanallah. Yeah, they even mentioned that um, some of the Salaf used to say that Abu Bakr Siddiq, he wasn't better than us in terms of praying more or fasting more or um, you know giving more charity mm. than us, but he was of a higher level because of something different because of the state of his heart. Mm. Because when he did it, it was of a different level in terms of oh. kind of how he was as a person and that the sincerity that he did it with um, was of, the, of another level. Subhanallah. Mm. Uh, when when it comes to like uh, like families and family problems and stuff like mm. that, uh, if a person's living with a with a family and they again constant like battles in terms of Islam, because uh, yeah. we get a lot of messages on Instagram with the brothers or sisters where they want to practice the Deen, mm. but their families are really like stopping them from it. Okay, uh, how how should they deal with that? So um, it can be difficult. It depends on the on, on what their family are trying to stop. Mm. So, so give me an example of something that they they would say. Um, like into the basically mosque like uh, no more stuff like if they were to go to class classes, they will say you know mm. you're you're becoming extreme. Why are you going to classes oh, or like okay. if you're uh, one the sisters they want to wear hijab. Yeah, they'll say that's that's too much. Like don't worry or like abaya jilbab. Yeah. Uh, anything too Islamic visually yeah. then yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah no that that's a good question so um, I think uh, sometimes it can work both ways in that we need to be um, approaching them in the correct way as well so for example you're going to a class okay explain who's doing the class for mm. example 
Um, I hope they're not talking about one of my classes. <laughs> it's about who's doing the class. So once they understand, okay, somebody's of a certain level or somebody who the person is, that can often put their hearts at rest as well. Because other it could be anybody, you could be going to see anybody. And, and yes, it's a valid, you know, as a parent, for example, they're, you know, they're worried about their children and that's, that's normal. Um, so I think from our side, we need to be understanding of that as mm -hmm. well. Because often when we're, you know, we're young and we're uh, zealous and we're passionate about studying, sometimes, you know, we don't see things from the other side. And, um, you know, uh, we need to try and have that view mm -hmm. as well because they have that right upon us, uh, our parents. So, um, yeah, that, that's, that's one aspect. Um, and then looking at um, maybe if there are others, for example, who your parents may trust, other people of your friends or your, or your community or people may trust, maybe going with them. So at least they know, okay, you're not going alone. You're not just going to somebody. First of all, you're not going to somebody they don't know mm -hmm. or they don't know about. Secondly, you're not going alone. You're going with others who they trust and who they acknowledge. Um, that can often help. Mm -hmm. Thirdly, if that fails, the other thing you could do is maybe you could ask um, somebody who does attend the class. Maybe they can record it, for example. You can listen to it at home. Or nowadays, you've got so many things on YouTube, you know, on Instagram, as you mm -hmm. mentioned, um, you know, Facebook. There, there's so many different avenues or ways of seeking knowledge that really, if it's going to put a, a barrier on your relationship between you and your parents, maybe it's best that you don't do it. Mm. Uh, and, and you seek knowledge in another way, which is, you know, in, in the comfort of your own bedroom um, and just on, you know, whatever, on, on online. Yeah, that's fine. Though. I think you're right, in the, uh, especially when it comes to seeing it from our parents' uh, mm. point of view. I, I, obviously, growing up, I've had the same sort of struggles uh, yeah. and uh, where your parents want something and you want something yeah. different. Yeah. and to find that balance of listening to them and not listening to them mm. uh, it's, it's quite it's quite a struggle yeah it's difficult especially uh, and looking back as well we always you know when you're young and you the, the key thing is when you're young when we don't realize this is we we don't have experience mm. okay we and, and experience is something that there's no substitute for i say this even in football <laughs> there's no substitute for experience even on the football pitch okay and um in life it's the same and it's the same when we talk about medicine and we mentioned medicine you know the the as much the, what you learn you know on the job when you when you start working as a doctor is much more than you, what you learn maybe in medical school mm. and the same was in the islamic side when, when i'm dealing with questions for example you learn so much more um with that experience than you did you know studying and sitting there reading a book for example um and and uh, it's difficult when we're young uh, when we're young to um to kind of understand that yeah. but that's why it's important to have a relationship with somebody who's older to, to have a relationship with a with a teacher with a scholar with an ustad whoever it may be who's able to guide you and tell you okay look the relationship with your parents is probably the most relationship or mm. the most important relationship that you will have i remember <coughs> somebody uh one chef he once said that you know um if you're married you can get divorced uh, talking about brothers, you can get divorced you can marry again mm. you know no problem with that but if you lose your parents Okay, you can't go and buy another parent. Or you can't mm -hmm. get another parent. You know, your mum's your mum, your dad's your dad. At the end of the day, there's no replacement for them. So you know that relationship is a really sacred, important relationship mm -hmm. that we really need to to uphold. Yeah, subhanAllah. I think with that, a lot of brothers and sisters they they struggle as well when it comes to marriage, mm. and it's from a different culture and yeah. a different background. Yeah, uh, <laughs> I know where this is going. <laughs> <laughs> it's, okay. it's, it's, what's the where do you draw the line with that? Yeah. Like, uh, should you listen to them? completely and just go with whoever they say mm. or um, if uh, so long as it's uh, they're Islamic they have good character mm. you should go for it and I know it's a yeah it's a question, bigger, you know it's one like every nearly every other not every other day but at least a couple of times a week mm. I get this question I get this question so and 
And uh, you know, for example, his sister says that um, the recent one I had sister said the other day. Um, I think the sister is from her parents' uh, background is from India, I think originally, um, and the brothers from Malaysia originally. Mm-hmm. His, his background and the and there was an issue that you know, the clash of cultures. My parents won't accept his culture. Um, uh, you know, he's from a different country. Um, that kind of th- similar type of thing or different mm-hmm. background or it's sometimes even different color skin. Um, you know, we get these these questions as well. Um, and really, the, the right of the parent is something which is very, very high. And there are ways in which you can go about it in terms of steps you can take. So what I normally advise is to what I say, okay, your parents who are a lot older than you, 20, 30, maybe or 10, mm. 15, 20 years older than you, they may not listen to what you're going to say. But what you should try and do is try and have somebody who they may listen to. So, for example, they may listen to their certain imam or certain scholar or certain ustad who they respect and they may listen to. So, or it may be a family friend um, or relative. So, speak to that scholar or that family friend and say, look, this is a situation, you know, I'm looking to get married. Um, you know, there's somebody who's appropriate. My parents are saying because of X, Y and Z that it's not appropriate. Mm-hmm. You know, would you be able to come and maybe speak to both of us um, and, and go around it that way? Because... It's easier, even you know, as you, as an individual, you know, as I've asked you, how old are you, for example? Twenty-eight. You're twenty-eight. Okay, so imagine you have like a fifteen-year-old comes, and he's trying to give you nasiha, mm. and he's talking to you about life experience. Realistically, somebody who's thirteen years younger than you, are you going to take that in the same mm. way? If it's somebody who's, for example, your own age, yeah, you take it. Even it's the human nature who take it differently. So, and we look at our parents the same, you know, they've been, you know, maybe 40, 50, 60, 70, however old they may be. And, you know, you're 20 years younger than them and you're trying to tell them, no, this is what I want to do in my life. This is what's best for me. You know, when they've got that 20, 30 years experience over you and you have to see it from that point of view mm-hmm. as well. So if you have somebody who is of the same age level or somebody they respect, who is able to come and then speak to them, that's often one way in which can help. I'm not saying it's a solution, but it can, it can, uh, it can, yeah, it yeah. Can, can aid the process. Um, and I always advise to, that's the first step that, that one mm. should try and take. Sure, it reminds me of uh, when we were kids and you want to play outside and you, can, yeah. you can't play outside. Right? Yeah. And yeah. you ask one of your friends to come and ask your parents. Yeah, yeah It's yeah. all like that, but obviously at a higher level. Exactly, um, exactly. Yeah. In the next sort of uh, stage after, after that, I can say is uh, married brothers and sisters. Yeah. Uh, what are some of the questions that you get and some of the advice you give like for brothers and sisters? For brothers that are married. Yeah. So the questions don't normally come from the brothers, normally come from Take the sisters. Notes, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Funny enough. Um, so the common questions we get are, uh, we get ones about the brothers not, uh, or the husband is not spending enough time with the wife. He's always on his phone. <laughs> Um, you know, he's always on Facebook, or he's on Instagram, always on Twitter. Mm. That's a common one. Um, I think the other common question we get is that in-laws as well. Each difficulties with in-laws, mm. you know, my in-laws are doing this, this, this. Um, you know, what should I do, for example? I remember you talked about one of the craziest questions I had. I remember one one quick, one uh, Instagram, Facebook question I had was, um, sister, she said that, um, I was married to her brother <coughs> and um, the brother uh, w- during their marriage he uh, basically was um, d- engaging with prostitutes mm, because of that then he picked up um, a sexually transmitted infection then he passed it over to his wife his wife was pregnant and then that got then passed down to their baby wow. 
and then so their baby became uh, unwell and and was sick and then um the brother then started uh, like something along these lines the brother because it, it was a few months ago now but the brother then um started working as a spy and um uh, he was spying on certain communities and um and now she was asking me because the brother wanted to have contact with his child now right. and um she's saying you know what should i do in this situation this is what's happened mm. so that's probably the even i i, I was shocked by that i was Just like you know what, what do you say in that situation yeah. it's very difficult um so yeah the and then she was saying her relationship with the in-laws as well so um yeah it's, it's a combination of those type of things yeah. what's the f like what would you advise of people who are like they initially get married yeah. what are the things that they should focus on to build like a good solid foundation yeah that's a good question um so i remember one brother he said to me uh he said he said that the best no he didn't say it to me so we were talking about it and he said the best piece of advice that i've ever been given is two words and he said this will save your marriage and i said inshallah what are these two words i never I mean, did i miss this hadith yeah <laughs> and then uh, he said the best words that you will that anyone any man can learn in marriage is yes darling he said if you <laughs> memorize these two words yes darling he said, it will take you a long way so um you know uh one of the things the key things is that it, it, you know in any relationship whether it be husband wife or every type of relationship you're going to have ups and downs mm. there will always be issues in human nature it will never be perfect and often sometimes you know people that you know when you're younger and you think okay marriage is going to be plain sailing you know this is all kind of like in that honeymoon period um actually another funny story i don't know i'm telling all these stories now. So i remember one brother he said uh he said marriage is like um he said it's like you have uh uh you know one of these like um gallon you know like the zamzam when you have the zamzam it comes out of like this kind of like um big tub yeah, inside, yeah. you know what I'm talking about and then you Those open the tap at the bottom yeah like you open the tap at the bottom then it comes out you know in the, in the masjid oh I know what you're talking, you know what about, talking yeah, about yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. said marriage is like that where initially what happens is you have uh, in, in one of these he's describing to me in one of these like containers these yeah. big containers you have honey at the bottom and you have oil at the top so he said initially you open the tap and then the honey comes out and then after a while you get the oil that comes out and then the brother goes he goes well, I don't know what happened to me because my, my, my barrel must have been upside down because I opened it and oil started coming out at the beginning subhanallah <laughs> <laughs> why are you telling me this here um, but yeah so, so yeah funny stories like that but uh, but yeah the um, the key thing really is we're all going to make mistakes mm. okay in all seriousness we're all going to have ups and downs it's about being able to forgive and being being able to forget as well because it's easy to have things built up in your heart mm -hmm. okay but at the end of the day you know everyone's human everyone makes mistakes and we have to have that ability to to do afu which is really to to try and forgive and to try and erase it and to try and move on and and um, try and look at the bigger picture mm -hmm. essentially because what happens is sometimes we get a lot of questions um i remember recently a brother he, he mentioned that um you know he had an argument with his wife um, I can't remember what the argument was about. I think they were late for something, uh, or the brother was late, and then so the, his wife was like, "You know, you're making us late." This, 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 and then a few months down the line, they had another argument. I think the brother had done something. He had promised to do something and hadn't done it. And then the sister mentioned that, uh, "You know, you haven't done this." And also three months ago, when we went to that wedding party, you made me late as well for that. So although that 
being late for the wedding party yeah. didn't have any relation to the sorry to the initial incident now but it's still there in the back of one's mind and um it's in human nature as well but we need to try and fight against that nafs try and fight against have holding those things against other people trying to you know remember that we all human we all make mistakes um and we all want you know want good for one another yeah i think it's important to remember that we all make mistakes mm. so uh, the more you hold someone else accountable t- for their mistakes yeah. then you should expect the same from the other exactly person. exactly and try and have that forgiving heart this yeah. is the key you know we mentioned the incident of five really try having that forgiving heart try and forgive um you know others uh, and, and remember in the back of your mind that you know if i'm allowed to forgive me then i really need to forgive others yeah it's fine i remember one one sheikh was mentioning that um allah has placed mawadda mm. rahma uh so the love that he's placed in you that's yeah. that's like the honeymoon period that's at mm. the beginning and then the rahma that's supposed to continue for yeah. the rest of the marriage. So yeah. you start with that, you know, honeymoon period where you kind of let everything go. Yeah. You because you're in, so in love. Uh, yeah. you the do, honey you, at the bottom of the barrel. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But then afterwards, you have to you remember have to have rahma. No matter what that's happens, right. you have to have yeah. the rahma. Yeah. It's a very that's the eyes sort of room that um often quoted in you know in the wedding invitations. Yeah. You get this, the eyes, everyone mentions. <laughs> yeah. Um, but it's true. You need to have that rahmah for yeah. one another. Um, you know, even uh, I always mention the example of the the hadith of Rasulullah in Sahih Bukhari, where you know you had a a woman who used to um, uh, sell her body essentially, and she gave you know the famous that she gave a dog you know some water, and because of that, Rasulullah said that you know she deserves to be forgiven for her sins. And he had another female, and also in Sahih Bukhari, who caged up a cat. Mm-hmm. And Prophet said she, because of that, just being bad to her cat, the Prophet said she's deserving a punishment for this. So imagine this is the relationship with animals. Yeah. Okay, and this is the level talking about Jannah and Jahannam being punished and being, you know, forgiven for sins for a relationship with a with a cat and a dog. So imagine a relationship between human beings and how sacred that is, and how important it is to have good relationships with others. Yeah, subhanAllah. And like uh, how Allah Subhanahu wa Taala told Musa alayhi salam to mm-hmm. speak to Pharaoh. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, kindly. And, yeah, 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 yeah. So, yeah. Uh, how about our wives and our, yeah, our, and our parents and yeah. families who, uh, who are nowhere near that? Yeah, but yeah. Um, yeah uh, to, to wrap up, uh, yeah. is there any final final messages you have? Any anything else? Um, I don't know actually. Any final messages? Any, any I advice think? for the youth out there? For for us, uh, something that will benefit us. Yeah. And we can so so I think initially we start talking about studying. Yeah. So I think. Um, Yes, if you can study, do as much as you can. But what we need to focus on is things that will practically, we can practically implement. So don't learn things just for the sake of learning things. Mm-hmm. But you want to really learn things which you can change you as a person to make you a better person, a better Muslim, a better member of your community, a better member of society. Mm-hmm. Um, because otherwise, it will just become. It's easier for it to become knowledge without action and that's one mm-hmm. of the things we need to be aware of so um, practical things that you can learn for example specific adhkar, um learning you know book sunnah prayers whatever it may be practical things that you can take learning for example um, a really important one learning the names of Allah so when we're making dua mm-hmm. you know Allah says in, in Surah Araf at the end uh, that Allah has the most beautiful of names call upon him by these names now if you don't know Allah's names now how can you call upon him by them? Mm. And so one of the ways that we can increase the likelihood of our du'a being accepted is by using Allah's names in our du'a. So for example, you want um, barakah in your mm. children, in your wealth, in your family, whatever it is, in your job. Then you use the name Al-Quddus. You want forgiveness, use the name uh, Al-Ghafoor, Al-Ghafar, mm. Al-Tawwab, Al-Afu, so on and so forth. So these are the practical elements that I, uh, you know, I, I'm trying to, to, to really um, uh, 
mention as much as possible because these are things I really think can 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 imp impact on our lives and, and we really see a benefit inshallah. Yeah, Jazakallah khair. I think it's really important that w with the names of Allah because yeah. uh, when you know Allah, then y uh, you know who you're worshiping and yes. uh, it builds that connection as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. No, definitely. I remember actually I did a talk in a uh, university last year. Uh, last year, yeah. there was about 200, 250 students were there, and I said to them, uh, "Tell me, to tell me ten things about Allah." And, you know, no one could tell me anything. Subhanallah. No one come up with ten things about Allah. You know, the person who we worship, we pray twelve times a day. Mm. You sit, you know, you wear your hijab for, you know, in, the, in this heat, for example. You're fasting long days in Ramadan. If we don't know Allah, then what does that say about our salah? What does it say about you know our fasting? Um, so really knowing who Allah is will really have a profound impact on your ibadah mm. and your relationship with others as well. Were these brothers just people who had just come to, into the deen or like? No, no, they were university students. Oh, University students, yeah, yeah. So you'll be surprised. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, <laughs> it's true, it's true. Uh, for Barakhan coming. Fiqh. Pleasure. We're gonna have you again very soon, inshallah. Inshallah. Uh, Honored to be here. Uh, for listening, and we'll be back with more episodes soon, inshallah. Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. Wa alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.